there's nothing quite like that. You know, get into the restaurant, chat to the chef, and um, and make sure that all the sales teams on the distributors are excited about the product and know all about it. Um, I think we can't beat those. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. One of the most underutilised species in the world of seafood is the seafood marketer. Creating demand for seafood is a task that is mostly misunderstood by the entire seafood supply chain from catchers to cooks. Supply and market volatility, the fragile nature of the protein itself, which is demanding of a dynamic distribution system, and the influence of fashion and trends makes the task of demand generation more complex in seafood than in most other worlds of marketing. Further still, the vast menagerie of different animals that make up seafood make it a gargantuan task to be a specialist across such a diverse range of species. Most terrestrial farmed foods have industry bodies which are well organised and funded, stewarding the training, education and the use of their products to everyone across the supply chain, providing consistency of understanding, handling and use from wholesalers to chefs to mum at home. In seafood, however, the task of coordinating the myriad of catchers, growers, processors and distributors across the seafood industry is complex, often requiring the negotiating skills of a UN representative. For those involved in marketing seafood, and in particular premium Australian seafood, the challenge is often a labour of love. Sally James is an Australian chef who has been tirelessly promoting Australian seafood for over 35 years. 22 years of which have been from her base in the United States. Hi, I'm Sally James. Um, I do various things here in the United States. Right now I'm in Colorado, um, joyfully telling the American audience about the, the lovely Yarra Valley uh, salmon and trout pearls, um, which I've been working with for a while now, based in Seattle in Washington at the moment. Um and really working as a bit of a brand ambassador for Australian seafood, which is a a pure joy for me. Fishing is kind of in my blood from, you know, as young as I can remember, my dad was taking us out to sit on a jetty and fish or out in a boat. And, you know, I was usually the one that caught a fish because the, the line was going out the back of the boat when we were heading home. And my uncle would take me out prawning up on the, the north coast. And so it's always had a, a role in my life. And I have always, always loved seafood and fish right from a very young age. Um, in fact, one of my, my my first boyfriends, the first thing my mother asked him was, um, I hope you like fish. So... <laughs> So, yeah, it's it's been a, a big part of my diet and, you know, ended up being a, a big part of my work moving forward. Getting hooked on seafood is quite easy for anyone genuinely interested in food. The diversity of flavours and textures, let alone the seasonal and regional nuances of the same species even, make it the most challenging yet rewarding of all the food groups. It's not surprising that a chef with a passion for creativity and exploration should find their way to a life in seafood. I actually left home at 16 um, and my mother was a a really lousy cook and I was a rebel at heart. And so when I got to try out cooking at school, I felt I was being a bit naughty and I just loved it. And um, so I thought, I'm going to put myself through cooking school. And so I, I left home at 16 and 
put myself through cooking school and I, the, the pastry stuff and, you know, none of that did much for me, but I got really fascinated with international cuisines and food science. And again, seafood just, it just captured me. And I moved into sort of a health kind of um mindset. And of course, you know, seafood fitted perfectly into that. And I had a my own restaurant at the um, Australian University for a while where, um, you know, I, I served big um, smorgasbord style dishes of food. And the delightful thing about having seafood in that was that you could serve seafood every day and it would be a totally different experience. And because there's so much variety, a lot more variety than you'd find in, you know, meat or pork or chicken. And and that really, you know, that gave, because I'm a hugely creative person. And so that really was like a playground for me. Um, I then got a, a role, I mean, with the Heart Foundation of Australia, the National Heart Foundation, where I was doing all their education. And it just seemed like all the, all the paths in my career, seafood just slotted into beautifully. And and it sort of became a joy for me to meet people who had either had heart disease or it was in the family or they just wanted to take preventative action. And, you know, they were a bit negative about seafood and just to find everyone's seafood hook because everyone, there's something, there's something for everyone, you know, not everyone's going to like all seafood. And, you know, and it's so wonderful for your heart, for your skin, for your eyes, for your brain, for your emotions on, on everything, so many healthy levels. And so that really kind of became a, a message with the Heart Foundation and all my work with them was, and I think that's when I first met you, John, um, was really trying to get out and educate Australians that, you know, we should be eating probably, you know, three, at least three meals a week of seafood, you know, whether it's smoked salmon on your bagel at lunchtime or breakfast or, you know, a prawn risotto or, or whatever. There's just so much you can do with, with fish and seafood. Uh, and then I... You know, finished with the Heart Foundation and started working for myself as a consultant, and um, and that's when I got approached by a lot of seafood companies to do everything from recipe development to helping them out at trade shows, being a spokesperson, going to culinary schools, teaching the students there about you know the variety and versatility of Australian seafood. Um, and henceforth, then I moved to the states and. Um, then it grew because all these Australian seafood companies wanted to get a presence in the States. And so I was, I became a bit of a target then, which was really wonderful for me because I'm so, so proud of Australian seafood. Um, I mean, whenever I come home and I go to the Sydney fish markets or even inland, even the Canberra fish markets in Fishwick, I walk in and it's like this light bulb moment. It all me, you know, almost brings me to tears just seeing the freshness and the variety and it's it's just so bright and beautiful and I'm so proud of the seafood out of my country and so you know I love seeing that same response from chefs here in America when they they see our product and, and how wonderful it is. Finding yourself in a new country in a new culture with seafoods that no one understands would be a daunting task Cutting through by using a genuine belief, even passion for the product you are promoting is no easy task also. For Sally, arriving in the US gave her the opportunity to expand the audience for her love of Australian seafood. To tell the truth, it was a bit depressing at first because, um, you know, having lived in Tasmania and gone down to Salamanca markets and 
you know, haunted the Sydney fish markets. And that's what I was used to. And so to go into even like a whole foods market in Napa, where I moved to and seeing these, you know, absolutely perfect scallops with no roe and no aroma and, you know, and white fish that had sort of lost a bit of its color and it certainly wasn't sparkling like I'm used to, um, you know that was that was a bit disappointing you know because i i'm so passionate about seafood and i thought oh what am i going to (laughs) do so so that's when i started to seek out um some australian companies and importers so i could try and find my my seafood that has been a, a really sort of mixed bag i mean my first encounter was with thomas keller in fact he's the reason i moved to the states i was actually doing a story on him for um, Norm Grant's um, Seafood Australia magazine. And um, and that's when I met my husband and um, the rest is sort of history after that. But um, henceforth, Thomas Keller became a good friend and would always welcome me walking in the back door with some new species of Australian seafood to talk to his chefs about. And and um, it wasn't always that way, you know. He was um, very, very generous about that, and it really gave me a good sense of American chefs and what they like. Um, I mean, the French Laundry is is quite unique in itself. But and so after that, um, most of my introductions to chefs started at me doing a a trade show or like Star Chefs Congress in New York or a fancy food show or the National Restaurant Association show in Chicago where I worked for Austrade and, you know, chefs would invite you back to, you know, their restaurant to, you know, introduce some new species and talk to their staff. And, you know, it's been an interesting trend because it depends where you go, but say in California where I spent a lot of my first years the chefs were, um, well, you know, sustainability was just starting out then and the whole local 100-mile radius, all that kind of thinking was just, you know, really at its strength then. And so people were saying, oh, no, I can't possibly get something from Australia when I've got the ocean right there in front of me. But that that gradually shifted when they experienced the quality and, and also realising that, you know, the U.S., has got a lot of people and Australia doesn't have so many. And we've, we've got a, a lot of seafood that is treated really well, that is snap frozen out in the boats and gets to them in much better quality than even some of the seafood that comes from a market, you know, in Bodega Bay or somewhere in California. Um, and so, you know, I've seen a growing interest in our seafood and it really does, you know, for example, where I'm here in Denver, um, they don't have a loyalty to a, an ocean front. And so they're a much more receptive audience. And But even in Seattle, there um, are many chefs there that they're more concerned about the fishery, how it's operated, whether it's ethical, whether it's sustainable, and which Australia really um, shines in that regard. And so they might choose something from Australia ahead of something from Alaska or the Puget Sound or whatever, simply on that basis. So it, it's that's what I said, John. It's, it's such a mixed bag. And, um, you know, I've had the honour of doing some presentations at different conferences, um, talking about our seafood and, you know, going around to culinary schools and doing lectures. And it's amazing how many of those students, you know, 
10 years later, I, you know, I encounter them in some restaurant in another city and they say, oh, guess what? I'm using your John Doria. I'm using your, you know, Glacier 51 or um, Skull Island Fraunz or whatever. And that's, you know, that's, that's pure joy for me. Surprising that in the land that invented advertising and endorsement, the sustainable seafood movement was slow to start in the US. But now, sustainability is cornerstone to the selection process for many chefs in the premium food world in one of the largest and fastest growing premium restaurant markets in the world. Um, it's certainly growing. Um, you know, I think the, there's been so many things that have impacted that. Climate change, for one, I think people are becoming more aware of how consuming sustainable seafood is so much better than for the environment than, you know, these one-pound pieces of steak for every meal um, and land usage and that kind of thing. So I think that's that's had a big impact. Um, more recently, COVID has had a big impact because a lot more people are eating seafood at home um, because they would normally just save seafood to have at restaurants because they don't really know how to cook it. Um, so, you know, that's I've seen a huge impact in retail sales and online sales with seafood in, um, in America because – People want to not only eat seafood at home, but they want to indulge themselves. So they're willing to pay a little bit more to get something really premium. And and I, I think it, there's a lot of restaurants that I've seen that used to be totally meat focused that are now responding to you know consumer demand to serve more seafood and more seafood that's diverse, not just the usual salmon, tuna, halibut. And you know prawns, they're they're wanting to see more variety, and because they believe that's you know a better move for the environment. So, I mean, it's certainly not all over America. I think you know Middle America, um, it's just starting to grow. But if you look at you know the whole area around New York and Boston and Philadelphia, definitely it's you know premium is is really important there and a thirst for something that's different and that's something that also stood out in the pacific north west to me is that yes they've got amazing halibut and alaskan salmon and spot prawns when they come out but they're it's pretty limiting what they have and they're they're just hungry for something new i remember when i got um, a chef that has three restaurants in seattle i got him a sample of John Dory and Murray Codd, and he was he was just so excited that you know because he loved the quality, he loved it, you know, being able to present something different and exciting to his audience because people are getting, you know, they're getting more um, adventurous in their eating, and that's what I think that's really what drives the chefs. I th I think social media has had a big impact because people I think are starting to show. A greater pride in what they do and of course the whole food network and celebrity chef thing I think has had an impact as well that um, people are less willing to accept just okay and they're really wanting to do things that you know a bit of a wow thing happening on a plate um, and deliver things that will really make their customers feel like they're being pampered and treated well and and I, I definitely think that the um that chefs are becoming a lot more discerning in their buying and they're not just buying from the you know the huge companies um they're they're now looking for distributors that will hand select seafood meat produce for them that will reflect well on their food because I see 
a, a big trend towards chefs treating things more simply because it revolves around the ingredient. I mean, something Australia was doing a long time ago, but I think it's using it a lot more now in American restaurants. I think it's really become more mainstream now. I mean, back in the day, I think Monterey seafood was really one of the the first that um, really made people aware because they had that little shopper's guide that you could get that, you know, did a red and a yellow and a, a green. And I, I, there are a lot of chefs that weren't um, – weren't partial to that because they knew that, you know, a company could be green, but it was yellow because it hadn't paid to get, you know, all the testing done and, you know, checked out by Monterey. But it still, it just made people really aware, which was, I I think, a really good first choice. And a lot of markets and um, seafood distributors really proudly boasted that it's it's Monterey Bay Aquarium approved. Um, And then I really think now – the MSC certification has taken a lot more precedence. Um, you know, I think it's it holds a lot more respect around the US and around the world. And um, it's still a topic that is is very, very current um, and it's almost a given. Um, I mean, there are still are some distributors. You know, I was just in Seattle Fish, for example, and they've got this huge, huge plaque on the wall in their lobby saying they're – they're a seafood distributor that is MSC certified. And, um, you know, I think they're, they're the first in Colorado um, and I think that's growing around the, the US. And, and that helps give chefs a sense of comfort because they know they can rely on one particular distributor and, you know, the product will be MSC certified, um, which they can then tell to their customers. So I think it's, you know, really customer driven that way. It's always surprised me that the US, which was the birthplace of the multi-unit food service operation, delivering the same size, shape, taste and priced burger worldwide, should also have a close connection to local, regional, seasonal seafoods. Whether it's a clam bake in New England, a seafood gumbo in Louisiana, or a soft-shell crab po'boy in Chesapeake, I've always been inspired by the various seafood producing regions in the US and how the locals proudly celebrate and support their local seafood industry. I was sitting in a restaurant in um, a little area of Seattle where I'm living at the moment and um, I was actually sitting with a chef buddy of mine and he pointed out the window and I turned around and I sort of saw these racks with a bit of water flowing through. He said, that's a salmon run. And, you know, we're in the middle of a suburb (laughs) and, I mean, admittedly we're surrounded by mountains and I said, Oh, you're kidding. That's what the, the whole salmon run thing is is for in Issaquah. There's a whole festival surrounding it. And and so, you know, that was that was really interesting to see, you know, this local community all come together once a year in this salmon run and it's right there in the middle of the town. But, you know, I think Boston is one of the most classic examples with the, you know, the lobster rolls and the things that are so iconic and the clam bakes, you know, that they do out on the coast as well up in that region, um, you know, Louisiana with their, um, well, not gumbo so much because people are often putting it in, but the dirty rice and all the different seafoods, the Cajun blackened seafood, um, you know, that's that really is so well celebrated and, you know, iconic. So, you know, if anyone sees a Cajun chef in another region, they're expecting those seafood dishes to come out, you know, in the restaurant, even if it's in Washington or, you know, (laughs) up in Minnesota. So um, I'm trying to think of some other ones that have really stood out to me. Um, I think in 
in Seattle um, when Halibut first comes out. Um, it is absolutely everywhere and it's such a, a beautiful firm fish. I mean, I sort of, I try and think or liken it to – I don't actually, I shouldn't do that because I think um, the blue-eyed cod from Tasmania is, is one of the best fish in the world, but um, – but you know the the whole it, the whole community comes in and embraces this fish when it's first in season from Alaska because it's so beautiful and it's such a limited season, and so you know I think that you know locals embracing what is there and what's in season and with their own local cuisine um, because that's something you know it's like the accents in America that each region tends to have its own influences in how they present food you know like in the, the Cajun in Louisiana it's very spiced and very um, comfort kind of food um, much like the center of America you know you've got a lot of deep fried food and so, you know, your fish and chips and um, po'boys and that kind of thing are so very popular there. And then going up into Boston, you know, lobster is just a part of the community and there are oyster bars everywhere. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's a really, you know, beautiful seafood basket here. But, you know, I, I still think that, um, you know, I, I think still Australia does it better, <laughs> really. Sustainable seafood is a global concept but often contemporary media would say that everything must be local. The process of representing a seafood which comes from the other side of the world requires unique skills and genuine commitment to overcome some of these prejudices, but true belief and a genuine passion can cut through every time. There's been many of those, but the most recent one has been um, you know, working with the Yarra Valley Caviar. And when I first tried their bloody Shiraz gin one, I thought to myself, oh, God, this is going to be a hard sell. <laughs> and because um, of that really definite gin finish and um, and how absolutely unique it is and the fact that chefs, most chefs in America have never heard of four pillars, you know, let alone a bloody Shiraz gin. But I did a, um, a trade show for a, a, a Japanese wholesaler in Los Angeles and the Japanese chefs just went wild over it. I mean, I could have sold a case to each each chef. They just thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. And, you know, I've been to several restaurants that are, you know, that are just, you know, finesse, beautiful French food. And and they too, they just say, oh, no, this, this caviar one, we can do a lot with this. You know, it's just been so interesting to um, see that and see, you know, with their – they have the, the shoyu um, – caviar that I think is just delightful and because the Japanese restaurants make their own um, they're not big on that one but the American restaurants are and they you know do it in everything from oyster shooters to serve on with sake on the side and um, it's been really interesting to see the creativity come out in that one I, I think the other product that's just really stood out to me that's just you know really wowed chefs has been the skull island prawns and um the you know chefs as soon as they try it they just can't believe the flavor and the texture and how it tastes like it's just been plucked out of the ocean um because it's been handled so well um i remember taking that to new york to the trade show with star chefs and and you you know you'd, you'd see um you know these 
chefs not from Nobu and um, Bukas and the like, they'd, they'd come up and they'd say, oh, oh, we've got to take that back now. We've, you know, we've really got to take it back. And there was actually um, – I mean, this is a New Zealand product, I'm sorry, but it was a New Zealand langoustine um, that I was tasting to unveil at a Seattle seafood event. And an Italian chef came up and we I, all I'd done with it was just grilled it, split it open and then just grilled it. And he tasted it and he actually started to cry. <laughs> and of course, I started to cry as well. <laughs> it was so touching. And he said, I've not been able to find anything like this out of Italy. Now I can really make my scampi pasta. And it was just, it was so memorable. I said, do you think you could turn those tears on again so I can just film you doing that? <laughs> it, was, it was just so special. Australia is a long way from the rest of the world. And whilst we can proudly hold our head up as having one of the most contemporary food cultures on the planet, we can still often be slightly myopic. Take seafood quality, for example. Yes, we do some things really well, but there is still room for improvement, and in particular in recognising and celebrating how special what we catch and grow from our waters is. I think we've got a bit of a way to go still. Um, I, I, I sincerely believe that we are starting to be viewed as a country that has very high quality standards, um, that does care about sustainability, that is a sort of clean, green kind of community. But there, I think there's still a lot that can be done to educate American chefs about um, the varieties of seafood that we have, um, about how it's handled um, and, you know, about how it can get to them as fresh as, you know, if it's coming off a boat, you know, in their city. Uh, or whatever. So, uh, you know, it's definitely growing, but no, there's, there's still a lot more that we can be doing, I think. And, you know, hopefully, um, you know, Austrade are doing a very big event in the, the Boston Seafood Expo uh, next year. So hopefully that will help educate people more. And, you know, I think it's just a, a slow process, but it's it's getting there. It's, it's going upward anyway. <laughs> To me, the most important thing is educating distributors, getting distributors excited and then helping the seafood distributors in the different areas. It's, you know, it's, there's not one fix it for America because it's, so, it's such a different region. Some products will work in some cities and not so well in others. And so it's a matter of finding those regions and really spending some time on the ground educating distributors and then when they take on the product, supporting them by going out and visiting chefs and supporting them on social media or, you know, chef competitions or, um, you know, activities that will help drive the sales back for the distributor. I think, you know, those two things have to happen together. And, you know, trade shows are certainly helpful, but I think there's nothing quite like that. You know, get into the restaurant, chat to the chef, and, um, and make sure that all the sales teams on the distributors are excited about the product and know all about it. Um, I think you can't beat those. There is something about a passion for food. It transcends geographies and even despite cultural differences, good food can be a shared language. Chefs are often the change agents of opinion in the food world, with many food trends starting their way down the popular food acceptance pyramid from fine dining. As we hear regularly on the Deep in the Weeds podcast, chefs often come from a rebellious background where formal education plays a minor role in their lives. However, from my experience, 
The mark of a great chef is their undying thirst for knowledge. They'll have an open door to hearing, seeing and tasting new ingredients. Getting this information to a chef can be a tiring process which demands being able to transfer knowledge without bruising egos and a fundamental undying love of the seafood itself. Although the modern world of communication has become intensely visual, with many reputations, careers and even fortunes made by the result of a visually rich social media presence, food remains tactile. The smell, the taste and the integrity are intangibles that can't be represented by a slick Instagram feed. The art of old school food marketing, where telling the story about the provenance and history of a particular food over a kitchen pass while a chef smells, touches, cooks and tastes it, is a somewhat lost art in the modern world. However, I'd argue that a highly knowledgeable, passionate and fiercely committed seafood specialist is of more importance today than ever. Sally James is a veteran of the Australian seafood marketing world. Her knowledge, skills and commitment are only surpassed by her genuine love of seafood and a desire to see more people enjoy it. She is a true Australian seafood champion. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.